Welcome to Pure Heart Church Podcast, Becoming Like Jesus. You're about to hear another inspirational message, and our prayer is that you are encouraged and one step closer to becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. Well, hello, everybody. We want to welcome you to our online campus here at Pure Heart Church. We're so glad that you joined us this weekend. Wherever you're watching from, across the great metropolitan Phoenix area, across the state of Arizona, around the country and around the world, we are truly honored to be with you. Also want to send a special shout out to Crossroads Recovery. We love you guys, and we are honored to be partnering with you and see what God is doing in your life. Well, what I want to do in this message, I want to start out by reading a short passage of scripture from the book of Genesis, and then we're going to start to unpack that. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 45. So if you want to follow along with us, here we go. So they, we'll talk about who they are in just a minute. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The thought I want to talk with you about this weekend is very simply this, that's my ride. I remember as a kid at Mountain View Elementary School here in the greater Phoenix area, all of our kindergarten and first grade classrooms were in the very front of the school, uh, adjacent to the street, the main street that the school was on. And every day after school, the parents would kind of park there. And it was really convenient for us because we were able to walk right out of our classroom and catch our ride that was waiting for us there. And I remember that when I would walk out as a young boy, kindergarten, first grade, I would see perhaps my mom in her 1967 Impala. What an amazing ride that was. I kind of wish I still had that ride. And then dad would show up in his 1966 Dodge Dart. Not sure if I'd really like to still have this ride or not. But I always knew that they would be there and that my ride would be ready to take me home. Of course, there were a few moments and a few occasions where I walked outside of the classroom that day at the end of the school day and my ride wasn't there. And as a young kid, my whole world just completely fell apart. Maybe some of you remember those times. And now I've been on the other end of that as a parent where I've been late to pick up my kid and they're just there, they're on the curb and they're just sobbing hysterically because they're waiting for their ride and their ride hadn't showed up yet. Well, as time went on, I always loved it when my parents would get new rides. I remember one day dad showed up in a 1975 Dodge Swinger and I had never seen this car before, and I didn't even recognize it as being my ride until I looked through the window, and there my dad was. And then there was the 1974 Monte Carlo, and, a, and then there was the gem of all gems, the 1980 Chevy Citation, which to this day, my dad says is the worst car 
that he ever owned in his life. They dubbed it the first Chevy of the 80s and it had a ton of issues. Then there was the 1983 um, Olds Cutlass, which I affectionately called the Gutless. And when I was in my teenage years, I actually blew the head gasket out in that car and took that thing out of its misery. But when I first started driving, I was pretty much at the mercy of driving my parents' rides. There was the 74 Datsun pickup. There was the 75 Datsun pickup. And then finally, in 1986, a few months after I graduated from high school, I got my first ride. It was a 1978 Datsun 510-510 four speed. I mean, look at this thing. This, if anything was destined to be a chick magnet, it was this car right here. And probably, you know, most, most people were looking at that right now saying, yeah, that ain't my ride. But nevertheless, my first ride, I drove the wheels off that thing. In fact, I kissed my wife for the very first time in that car. And when I picked her up that night for that date, I could still, to this day, hear off in the whispering wind as I pulled up, talking to me out through the window. That's my ride. Well, it may not have exactly happened that way, but rides are destined to get us from place to place. They're destined to get us from here to there, from where we are to where we're ultimately going. Rides are simply about transporting us to a new destination. In the passage of scripture that we read, we met a man whose name was Jacob. And by the time we get to the point in Jacob's life where we read that passage today, Jacob was a very old man. He was like 130 years old and he was, he was old and bitter and he was wounded on a slow march toward eternity. And what you have to realize if you're not really familiar with scripture is that Jacob was actually the grandson of one of the most popular characters in scripture. His name was Abraham. And Jacob, if you read through his life story, what you find out is that Jacob was really not a great human being. He was deeply flawed, but yet he was chosen and he was highly favored by God in spite of his flaws. And I ask you today, isn't that really the story of all of us? No longer, no matter how long that we serve God, we, we're still trying to work out life. We still try to navigate the tension between where we are now and where ultimately God wants us to be. We're all flawed because of our sins, because of our shortcomings. And, and often in life, we find ourselves where Jacob was. We find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves out in front of the proverbial school, if you will, waiting for our ride to get us unstuck and move us from here to there. Well, Jacob was a master liar. He was a master manipulator. He was an absolute genius at controlling outcomes. But yet he had encountered God on, on several occasions and it shows us this incredible grace and mercy of God at this, this wonderfully flawed individual who was also highly favored. Three times God had spoken to him about his plan for Jacob's life. The first time in Genesis 28, God said to Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What an incredible promise. And then later in Jacob's life, God shows up and speaks to him again. And God said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then later on in life, we see God showing up in Jacob's life a third time. And 
God says again to Jacob, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, God says, I also will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. I mean, those are incredible promises. But yet in the twilight of his life, we find Jacob stuck dealing with unfulfilled promises in his life. Jacob was at a point where he was unable to move forward. He was desperately needing something to show up. He was needing a ride, if you will, to show up on in his life and take him from where he was to ultimately where God wanted him to be. Now, why was Jacob stuck? Well, there's a variety of reasons, but the primary reason as it relates to what we read in this text today is that Jacob actually had 12 sons by four different women. And the 11th son, who just so happened to be the firstborn of the favorite wife, did you catch that? 12 sons, the 11th is the firstborn of the favorite wife. He ended up becoming Jacob's favorite kid. Now, I'm a parent of five, and I can honestly say, I've had people ask me this over the years. They're like, hey, John, which one of your kids are, are your favorite? And my response is always the same. Well, they're, they're all my favorite. I have a favorite firstborn, a favorite secondborn, a favorite third, fourth, and fifthborn, right on down the line. But for whatever reason, reasons that we will never know or understand, Joseph was the favorite. And this, as you can imagine, made his 10 older brothers extremely jealous. So you had this favor given by dad and dad makes him this coat, this vibrant, beautiful, multicolored coat that displays his favor towards his favorite son. Well, if that wasn't enough, then Joseph, as he became a teenager, started having dreams of greatness. And, and because of these dreams of greatness, his brothers started hating him even more. And so when Joseph was 17 years old, his brothers got so distraught with their younger sibling, they wanted to kill him. But one of the older brothers, whose name was Reuben, stepped in and he said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and let's, let's leave him for dead. Well, as that went wrong, the, the narrative continues. It's a fascinating story if you want to read it in Genesis chapter 37. Finally, one of the other brothers, whose name was Judah, gets this bright idea. He says, you know what? Let's, let's not kill him. Let's not leave him in the pit. Let's make some money off this. Let's exploit him and make some money. So they sold him into slavery. And what we find is that Joseph winds up in Egypt as a slave. But now there's a problem because they've got to go back and tell their father that his favorite son was missing and why he was missing. So they concocted this lie to tell their father, Jacob. Now watch carefully in Genesis 37, 31, the lie that Jacob's 10 older sons told their father in relation to his favorite son. Check this out. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. I find it really interesting. They didn't even refer to Joseph as their own brother. He said, is this your son's robe or not? But it says Jacob identified it and it said, it is my son's robe. And he drew the only conclusion that was possible. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. And we find that all of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him 
but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I will go down to Sheol. I will go down to the grave to my son, mourning. Some of you may be watching this message this weekend and you've experienced the traumatic loss of a child. As a parent, I cannot imagine a more traumatic experience. And so rest assured that if that's you and maybe that's been your situation, God knows exactly where you're at. And we see that Jacob ends up having to go through a long process of recovery, but the indications are from the narrative that he almost never recovered. For 22 years, Jacob mourned the loss of his son. And over this 22-year period, that wasn't the only thing that Jacob was dealing with. There was family tragedy. One of his other sons was involved in a, in a horrendous uh, sex scandal that tarnished the family name in the region. And if that wasn't bad enough, then a massive famine hits the area, the entire region, causing food shortages. And when you have a large family, this becomes a real issue. So think about all that Jacob is dealing with here over this long period of time. He's dealing with sons that are manipulators and deceivers and liars. He's dealing with the loss of a son that he thinks is dead. He's dealing with a scandal that tarnished the family name. And now he's having to deal with the very reality that in a hand-to-mouth culture, they were having a very difficult time surviving. Is it any wonder, ladies and gentlemen, that Jacob found himself stuck? But an interesting thing happened. Word got out that there was a wise government leader in Egypt who had been stockpiling grain for seven years because there had been seven years of plenty. And this wise leader had stored it up and now he was selling it to the known world. And Jacob hears about this. And we look in Genesis 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? We, we got to do something here. So he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Now, now here's what's happening, and I don't want you to miss this. Jacob had no idea, none whatsoever, that when he sent his sons to Egypt, that what God was doing is that God was actually preparing his ride. He had no idea that God was at work, that God was active, that God was moving, and God was arranging events and ordering circumstances that would get Jacob unstuck and move him from here to there, from where he was to where God wanted him to be. You see, ladies and gentlemen, so often in life, we cannot see the big picture of what God is doing because all we can see is literally what is right in front of us. All we can see are the unpaid bills. All we can see is the doctor's report. All we can see is the addictive lifestyle of our loved ones. All we can see is our marriage that is failing. All we can see is the unending singleness in our life when we so desire to be married. All we see is the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, the things that are wrestling for control of our life or perhaps even the consequences of our own sins that have caused us to become stuck in where we are. What we can't see because all we're seeing is what's in front of us, what we can't see is that God is actively moving. God right now is actively arranging events and ordering circumstances, preparing a ride, if you will, to get you unstuck, to get you from here to there, to get you from where you are to where God wants you to be. 
Now, there's an incredible irony in this story, and that is this. The, this government leader, this wise government leader who had the wisdom to stockpile grain for the years of plenty, you know who that was? It was actually Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. Joseph, imagine this, Joseph was alive and well. And what Jacob didn't know, what Jacob didn't realize is that through a period of time and through unbelievable circumstances that his son, presumed dead, had risen to power in Egypt. That's my ride. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God can take the greatest tragedies of our life and he can turn them around for his greater purpose in our life. And I want to encourage you today, there is no situation that you face that is not redeemable because we serve a God who is in the redeeming business. Well, if you continue to read this narrative, it's an absolutely incredible story. The brothers go down to Egypt and once they arrive, Joseph encounters them and he recognizes them immediately, but they did not recognize him at all. But as Joseph surveyed this situation, one thing was obvious, and that is his younger brother, Benjamin, was not with them. Benjamin, you see, was number 12. Joseph was number 11. Benjamin was number 12. And Benjamin was the second son of the favorite wife. So Joseph, and I don't have time to go into the entire narrative. It's an absolutely amazing story. He starts messing with his brothers. And he's, his brothers tell him, yeah, we've got this dad and he's in the land of Canaan. We got this younger brother. And Joseph's like, you know what? I don't know if I believe you or not. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna hold one of you here as ransom. I'm gonna put one of you here in custody. You're gonna go back to your homeland and you're going to bring back your younger brother so that I can see if you guys are actually telling the truth or not. I need to verify this story. So eventually the brothers have no choice but to give in and they go back to, to Jacob and they start telling him this, this whole exchange that's happening. But remember this, Jacob is stuck. Now watch what Jacob says here. This is so fascinating. Then their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon, who's the one that was held back as, as ransom, Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Now watch what he says here. Everything is against me. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have had those type of moments in life where we feel like everything is against us? And it doesn't have to necessarily be the big things that, that I mentioned a little while ago, all those big things that stand. It can be just a lot of little things that pile up one on top of each other that make us think that everything's against us. I mean, stuff like, ah, good grief, the AC's not, not working in my car. And if that's not bad enough, I, I pull up to the gas pump at Fry's because I got some extra VIP fuel points and the pump is out of order and they didn't bother to put the little yellow thing over the pump so, to let me know that it was out of order. So I have to drive to another pump and then my card won't go in the reader and then I got to go in the store and I get behind the person that's coupons won't scan. And then I get home and the dog vomits on the floor right as I'm, right as I'm walking in and trying to put everything away. And now I got to clean that up and I'm running late for my next appointment and my stimulus check hasn't come yet. And then I walk inside and, and I let and I look around and, and there's water coming from the freezer. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this? And I realized that one of my brain damaged children left, left the freezer opened and now all the food has to be thrown out. I mean, everything is against me. I'm cursed. 
If you look at it from Jacob's perspective, Joseph is dead. Simeon is being held for ransom. My favorite wife died giving birth to my youngest son. And now you want to take him. We're wasting away and we're starving because there's no food. You can see the ribs on the cows because they're starving. I'm 130 years old. I walk with a limp. I can barely see. I'm estranged from my twin brother. These ancient promises that God made to me years and decades ago, these things aren't happening. My children's, my children are a train wreck. I mean, everything is against me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want to encourage you with today. Because Jacob is about to find out something, a very powerful truth that Paul would emphasize centuries later in his writings when he wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Wait, wait, wait. Everything is against me. No, no. That's, that's not what we're talking about because Paul is talking about certain things. Again, look at that verse. What then shall we say in response to these things? Not the things that are before me, not all the little things that pile up to make me wonder if everything is against me. What things is Paul talking about? He's talking about everything that he wrote in chapter eight. And I would encourage you, go back and read Romans chapter eight because you're gonna find out things like this, that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're going to find out what Paul was referring to when he said that the spirit, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he's also going to give life to you. We find out earlier in Romans 8 that if we're led by the spirit of God, we're the children of God. We find out that we are no longer slaves unto fear, but we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. We find out in Romans 8 that the, the present sufferings that we face are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. We find out that the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses and makes intercession on our behalf. And we find out that wonderful promise that all of us love, that all things work together for good to those who love God. What shall we say to those things? Here's what we say to them. Everything in life can be against us but nothing will stand. Every opposition that comes against us will eventually crumble before the Lord. And I may not be able to see what God is doing right now, but what I can know is this, and that is that in all things, Paul says, we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everything can be against you, but nothing can defeat you because we are more than conquerors. And Jacob's about to find out this truth. So he relents and he sends the brothers back to Egypt with Benjamin in tow. And I would so encourage you to read this narrative. It, it just, it gets me every time I read it, that moment when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. It's a dramatic filled moment. And in that moment, Joseph says something that cuts through 22 years of pain, grief, and loss. Watch what he says. He says, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives 
that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And later on in his life, he would phrase it a little bit differently. In Genesis 50, he looked at his brothers once again and he said this, he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, God took this great tragedy and he started working silently behind the scenes. Why? Because God was for him. Decades earlier, God had told Joseph's great grandfather, Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through his seed. It was confirmed through Isaac, his father. And as we read earlier, through Jacob. But when everything was against Jacob, here's what God was doing. Don't miss this. God was busy arranging events and ordering circumstances, preparing a ride to get Jacob into the next season of his life. That's my ride. Well, as the story goes on, Pharaoh heard what was going on. He heard all this commotion, finally figured out that, wow, Joseph's father's alive. These are his brothers. We got to we got to get them down here. We got to be able to provide for them in this famine. And so what the king of Egypt did is he told Joseph, he said, I want you to go and I want you to prepare wagons for the family. Not only that, we're going to give them the prime grazing land of Egypt right in the, in the Nile River Delta for their livestock, well irrigated for crops. And so the bottom line is whenever it was that Jacob would arrive in Egypt, everything would be prepared for them. And here's my main point for you today. And this is your big takeaway. This is the, if you get nothing else out of this message, this is what I want you to get. And that is that everything you need for your next season is already in the next season. It is waiting for you. God is going before you because he is for you. And now, right in this moment when you're stuck and it looks like everything is against you, I wanna declare to you today that your ride to get you to your next season is on its way. I wanna look again at that portion of scripture as we wrap this message up the portion that we read at the very beginning of the message in Genesis 45. So they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But watch this, his heart became numb for he did not believe them. His heart became numb. I asked myself the question, what is it that, causes a heart to become numb. It can be a lot of things, it can be pressure, it can be anxiety, repeated disappointment, maybe a combination of all of the above. And when Jacob reached his breaking point and he declared, everything is against me, here's what happened. Jacob had bought into a lie 22 years earlier. And over a 22 year period, that lie had lodged inside of his heart that Joseph, his son, was dead. Now he's presented with this new information that his son is still alive. He can't process it. You see, the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, when we allow lies to lodge in our heart, 
lies that we believed about ourselves, lies that we believed about our situation, lies that other people have spoken over us, it can move our heart towards being numb. And in those moments, here's why some of you really are stuck and why no matter what anybody says, you can't get yourself unstuck because when you reach that point and you're numb, all you wanna do is say, you know what, I can't hear it right now. I can't receive it right now. Why? Because lies have been so woven into the fabric of your life. Lies that nothing's gonna improve. Lies that nothing is gonna get better. Lies that things are always gonna be this way. The Hebrew word for numb literally means to become cold or to fail, to become weak or inefficient and unable to function. That's what was describing Jacob's heart and that's what traumatic situations do to us. But here's what happened, guys. God was able to reach through the years of pain and the numbness of heart. Watch this. When they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Just whisper out loud, that's my ride. You see, God was able to reach through the numbness of heart by his sons continuously telling him the truth, plus seeing the wagons. And as I've been sitting in this text and preparing for this talk with you this weekend, I kept asking the question over and over again, what was it about the wagons that was so special that caused Jacob's spirit to revive? I think what happened is this. I think that there was no possible way for Jacob to deny where his ride came from. There's no way his sons could have done this. They couldn't have built these wagons that had all these ornate decorations from Egypt. These were Pharaoh's wagons that he had asked Joseph to prepare for them. Here's what it was. This lifetime liar who for 22 years had believed that his son was dead, was now face to face with the truth that God was for him, that God had gone before him. And all Jacob needed to do was accept the truth that his ride had arrived. The truth is what makes us free. All Jacob had to do was allow the truth to replace the decades of pain and numbness. And once this happened, Jacob's spirit revived. I want you this weekend to receive this very powerful truth that God is for you, that God has gone before you. And as we like to say around here at Pure Heart Church, it's okay for you not to be okay. It's not okay to pretend you're okay and it's not okay for you to stay stuck. I don't want you to be stuck in the pain and in the numbness and the things that have stopped you from going from here to there. You may be in that situation today, but I want you to embrace the truth that God is for you, that he has gone before you and that nothing can separate you from his love and allow that truth to breathe life into your spirit one more time. Some of you ache for this and it's time for you to accept this truth that your ride is here to carry you into the next season of your life. Now watch how Jacob finishes this out. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The truth was enough. The truth was sufficient. Jacob would have never entered this new season of his life if he had continued to believe that Joseph was dead. Had he failed to recognize God's provision, Jacob would have stayed stuck 
right where he was and he would have died in the lie. Ladies and gentlemen, the richness of this idea that truth brings freedom cannot be understated. And if you continue to read Jacob's story, we find that he lived another 17 years in the land of Egypt. And we don't know very much about those years except that they were very, very fruitful. And what I want for you is very simple. I don't want you to die in the lie, the lies that have been spoken over to you because your ride is here. And most importantly, the ride that is here for you. And I wanna speak specifically to those of you who have never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've just been stuck in life and looking for somebody to lead your life, to be the Lord of your life. Can I say to you today that Jesus wants to be the leader and the Lord of your life? And in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say a prayer with us. And, and there's, a, there's a button on your screen, depending on which format you're watching this message in. I want you to click that button if you're saying yes to Jesus today, and you'll have an opportunity to get some next steps to take you into this next season of your life. But first and foremost, I want you to embrace the very powerful truth that God loves you. He gave his life for you so that you could be unstuck, so that you could move forward, so that Jesus could be the leader of your life. And I can tell you, as so many will testify to, it is the best life. And all you gotta do is pray this in your heart and just say, dear Jesus, I embrace the truth that you have come to set me free, to get me unstuck from this place that I'm in. I ask you today to come into my life, to be the Lord of my life, to lead my life so that you can take me from where I am now to ultimately where you want us to be. I thank you, Jesus, so much because you, I believe, are the ride to get me to my next season. And I pray these things in my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. And for all of you today who may be walking with Jesus, but like so many of us do, we get to those places where we're stuck. Can I say to you as a reminder that God is for you, that God has gone before you, that he is preparing a ride for you to get you from where you are now to ultimately where God wants you to be. God bless you guys so much this week. Thanks so much for watching. We love you.